Good evening and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. We are back from vacation. We are back and locked and loaded. It's football season. Your Kansas City Chiefs play a football game. It may not be a real football game, but they play a football game against other people, not Chiefs players this weekend. Christian, how hyped are you? It's it's time to lock in. Yeah, you, you know, experiencing the Rocky Mountains. I was in Colorado for the past two or three weeks. Um, coming back from that, getting a little rex, rest and relaxation, getting away from football, and then coming back and seeing these guys performing in camp, gearing up for the uh, preseason, it's super exciting. I honestly can't wait to uh, to get see them out there on the field. Yeah, I um I had come back from a little hiatus myself. Uh, went to the lake this week or past week, drank about a zillion beers. My body is incredibly sore from tubing. And then this weekend I went up and went to St. Joe, saw the Chiefs on Saturday. Uh, it's kind of a, it was, it was a nice practice. It was a little hot, a lot of run game focused in uh, this practice. So there, there were a couple of good plays, but it's always good to just get up there and see the players and, you know, support St. Joe. I think that's a big part of Chiefs camp as well as supporting the community. We always go out to eat. We went back to Boudreaux's, of course. Um, so, but yeah, it, it's good. Football season's here. And I always like looking back when we get into the Chiefs regular season, I'm like, God, we cared so much about the preseason and all that stuff when it didn't end up mattering. But here I am like counting down the days until a Chiefs preseason game because it's all we have, damn it. And we're going to love it. Oh, yeah, I am super here. I, I have been all in on like the Doris Fountain takes of this year, like Pacheco is going to be RB1. And, uh, you know, George Karlaftis is going to come in and get 10 sacks his rookie year. Like, I am I am so into that right now that I have completely overlooked the lessons I should probably should have learned last year. Uh, from I will, watching I will say, though, camp. I don't think that there's been, like, remember last year was like Devin Key and Doris Fountain, like you said. And the Doris Fountain hype was at least warranted. I mean, he did, like, make the team and play actual games. Now, I remember running a poll last year during Chiefs camp does Darius Fountain ever catch a touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes? And it was overwhelmingly yes, which it could still happen. He's just been very injured this camp, but apparently they still really like him on special teams. Like there's still an outside chance that he's back on the roster this year. Um, but we'll kind of get down to the roster breakdown here. This first segment that we're going to do, we're going to be pretty chief centric here in the beginning and then go general NFL here later. But this first segment that we're going to do is we're going to pick three players from chiefs camp and we're going to decide one player that's exceeding expectations, one player that's meeting expectations, and one player that's failing to meet expectations for each of us. So I think it's pretty natural that we should start with the positive. So, Christian, who is one player that you feel in Chiefs camp that is exceeding expectations? So I think we talked about this before we went on the podcast about how easy it would be to pick like Isaiah Pacheco, who you know, late round pick running back who is clearly, I think, going to make the roster at this point. But I'm going to go with the first round guy, George Karloftis. I say this every year, like, well, okay, so I watched the draft with my family and mostly my father, who when we talk, you know, we go, oh, if we if we draft this guy, what I would do if I was him is I've come in and all I would do is ask all these questions and I'd stay late and I'd be there early and I would do my best, you know, to make as strong of a first impression as I possibly could on the organization that drafted me. And it seems like, I mean, I'm sure there are some behind the scenes things where you see like Clyde Edwards, Alaire going in and, and talking to the older running backs like Daryl on the roster and, you know, doing these extra things or even further back, like Marcus Peters coming in and, you know, really working with Bob Sutton, our defensive coordinator at the time and, and putting the time in, but with George Karloftis, it just seems so in your face. Like, George Karloftis, the first day he came in, I mean, like, they, they had that rookie practice. And next thing you know, he's working with Frank Clark. He's working with Patrick Mahomes' uh, plyometrics coach. Like, he's doing all of these things outside of what the organization has asked him to do and just soaking it all in. He's after practice every day, Frank Clark, one-on-one, -on -one, edge training. Uh, talking with Mike Dana, talking with Tershawn Wharton, talking with Chris Jones even about like the different moves he can use on the inside of the line. And I love that so much. And, you know, you, 
my expectations for him were to come in and have a high motor and be high energy, but it seems like he's taken that to a completely different level. Like, like, like I said, just everything that he's been doing has been incredible. And I think that that can only benefit us, right? Like he's, he's going to come in week one and I think make a strong impact. Now we'll see how well he actually does, but my hopes are extremely high after seeing him, you know, go throughout these training camp processes and, and doing well with all of that. I agree that um, the impact of George Karloftis is going to be a lot larger, but part of the reason why he's not quite exceeding expectations for me is because I think the biggest impact or the biggest bonus that you're getting from George Karloftis is actually in bringing in when the Chiefs brought in Carlos Dunlap because Dunlap raised the floor of this line as a whole and gives like Karloftis is now the whipped cream on top of the Sunday, right? Because at this time, you know, a couple of weeks ago before we had brought Dunlap in, you were looking at Karloftis, re, you know, being your Melvin Ingram replacement. I have reason to believe that I think Dunlap will actually be better than Melvin Ingram because he actually finished the sacks better than Ingram has. We think about that, you know, Ingram was just this irreplaceable player. He had one regular season sack with his time in the Chiefs. I think he had a couple more in the postseason. But I mean, Dunlap is super... Con- consistent and i think you know i feel good about carl loftus making an impact year one now that dunlap is here but the fact that dunlap had to be brought in kind of like says a little bit about what they think of as carl loftus as a player um carl loftus is actually my meeting expectation because he's giving exactly what i thought he would we knew that he would come in day one and like work his ass off which he you know he is he he's a guy that they had to get on to an OTAs and said hey man like tone it down like we're just you know we're just getting started with the season he is all out on every play plays with his like his hair is on fire he's doing all the all the little things right learning from the veterans you know he's going to be learning from Dunlap and Frank Clark but he you know he has come in looking leaner shout out to Bobby Stroop his trainer who also is Patrick Mahomes's trainer who he does look leaner, uh, still struggles with the bend around the edge, but I, you know, this is exactly what I expected from Carl Loftus. And usually with pass rushers, they, you know, there's the truly, truly elite guys come in year one and make an impact, but a lot of them, it is a little bit more of a development. Um, it, it's just tough rushing the passer in the NFL. So he is actually my meeting expectation player. My exceeding expectation player is actually someone who's been in the NFL for a little bit. And that's Juju. Juju Smith-Schuster was, you know, a guy that was, you know, basically signed two one-year deals in a row, a player that a lot of people have kind of given up on and forgot about, and is more known for his antics on TikTok than he is as far as a player. But every single time we open Twitter uh, during a weekday or a weekend and there's Chiefs practice, there's just another highlight of Juju. He Another connection with Juju, another big catch by Juju. He is all over the field. And by all accounts from anyone who covers the Chiefs regularly, he has already established chemistry with Mahomes that only him and Kelsey have. Um, And for him to come in and do that year one is huge. And I think that he gives the Chiefs something that they have not had at the wide receiver position in a long time. And that size to go up and get it, versatility to, you know, go on the outside. And I'm very confident about how I've seen him run on the outside predominantly. I was kind of worried that he was going to be you know, mixing in with the slot. He kind of gives the Chiefs an option to have a power slot, but for most of the time he's been on the outside. And I just, you know, it was one of those things that you had to wonder as far as his production has been pretty poor the last couple of years since he had 1,400 yards back in 2018. But, you know, the reality is he went from arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL and the carcass of Ben Roethlisberger the last couple of years to, you know, a top two quarterback in the league. And also a fantastic offensive coordinator. So the, and this is something that I just kind of noticed in general about Juju. He's, he was kept kind of very quiet all throughout the offseason. You didn't hear anything about the chiefs, you know, being super confident about him. He wasn't a guy who was on the mic, but then week one, day one of training camp, he was one of the guys they brought to the mic. And, you know, we, we get excited about the sky Moors and the Pacheco and all these rookies But like Juju is just, you know, he is a stock that is consistent and I'm very excited about what he's going to contribute. I think a lot of people are going to wonder how the Chiefs signed him for one year, a couple million dollars. And I think, you know, next year we're talking about him getting, uh, you know, 25 million per year with some team that gets hungry and picks up something the Chiefs turned into a valuable commodity. 
So I can absolutely see why you have him as exceeding expectations. However, at least for me, he's kind of more of that like meeting expectations. And that's just because I was so high on him from the beginning. Like my expectation for him was to come in and, you know, whenever we got him, we still had Tyree kill. So I was like, okay, he absolutely takes this offense to a completely different level. We have two number ones now. Uh, I guess you could maybe call Juju like a one slash two. Uh, but I was like, our the floor of our offense is now incredibly high. Now we got rid of Tyreek Hill, and that kind of changed how it kind of changed my perspective on what the wide receiver room and our offense would look like overall. But I was really, really high on him coming into this. I mean, like I thought he was going to come in, be maybe an 800, 900 yard receiver with Tyreek on the roster. And now that he's not here, it's like, okay, well now he obviously is going to take another step forward clearly the most polished, clearly the most um, experienced wide receiver outside of Josh Gordon in this receiving room. So I was honestly pretty, you know, like I said, I, I just expected him to do extremely well. And he's done exactly that. He's clearly become the number one wide receiver in Patrick Mahomes' eyes. If you've read anything on these camps, you'll know that it's every single day he's finding Juju underneath, over the top, in the backfield, like, he just knows where he is and knows what he's going to be. And that's incredibly, you know, I'm incredibly happy to see that going into this, uh, this upcoming season where we've lost our number one wide receiver. Now for me on my media expectations, I have that as. Oh, I, I had his name. I completely lost it. Uh, Creed Humphrey, Creed Humphrey is, has been meeting my expectations. You haven't heard anything about Creed Humphrey, and you want to know why you haven't heard anything? That's because he's done exactly what he's done since day one coming into this league, which is shutting out the interior defensive tackles and making it extremely easy for Patrick Mahomes to do his job. And he has taken those guys. He's taken guys like Chris Jones, Treshawn Wharton, Derek Nottie off the map. And that's absolutely what I want to see from a guy who – frankly, should have been a pro bowler last year. So him coming in, doing his job, not taking a step back, not hitting that sophomore slump as a lot of, you know, early players do is extremely, uh, extremely, op not optimistic, but it, it's great to see, you know, like I expected him to be extremely good and he has fulfilled that expectation. So I hopefully that will translate into the regular season, but we'll see. I honestly, I, I believe that it will. Yeah, and I think I think you know one thing. This goes for Rashawn Slater too, who is probably also one of the best rookie offensive linemen in the NFL last year. Is you just want to see him be able to replicate it. Uh, you know, one rookie season, it, it catches people off surprise or it catches people by surprise. But for them to come back and replicate it in year two, just really kind of establishes like, okay, this is you know, offensive linemen especially are. You know, once they get in that Pro Bowl, all pro cycle, a lot of times they stay there for like three or four, you know, even five years. So hopefully this is the beginning of Creed Humphrey's run of, you know, all pros, Pro Bowl level. Uh, you know, Jason Kelsey is getting close to the end of his stint. Um, there's a pretty good center over in Los Angeles with the Chargers. But other than that, it, it, and, you know, Ryan Jensen just got hurt for the Bucks. So the path is wide open for Creed this year. And, you know, it, it's awesome that the Chiefs got such a good guy to pair with Mahomes. Um, it, it's great that they kind of have that star on the offensive line. Um, for my not meeting expectations, I, I've kind of got two, but I'll pick the one that I think had some more expectations on them this year. And that's going to be Joshua Kando. Um, he was a guy last year that we really looked at as a full apprenticeship year. Um, the athletic scores are something that gets every draft nerd excited when it comes to Joshua Kando, who teched, you know, by all measures, checked out as a, an athletic freak but um last year you know he he really got brutalized in the run game a couple of times i can't remember if it was the ravens game might have been the bills game but there was just one run play that he just got massacred on where he just got caught looking upfield and just completely let the guy right by him totally was not uh gap sound and you know this year he's been running with the two with the threes twos and threes um now that we're talking about you know, Dana, who's playing on the inside some, but you've got, you know, we talked about Dunlap, we talked about Karloftis, Frank Clark's looking healthier, um, a little bit slimmed down. 
you just don't see any buzz about Kando and not any growth or development. And honestly, I could see him being on the on the bubble this year. You know, if it, if it comes down to them keeping one more receiver or defensive back that can play special teams versus Kando, a guy who's not going to be playing special teams, you know, there, there's a real chance, you know, in the sense in the way that Cornell Powell didn't make the team last year and kind of surprised people. I see I see there's a situation that Kando is on the outside looking in on this roster. Yeah, especially with bringing Carlos Dunlap. Like we talked about it before the season. If we brought back Melvin Ingram, I mean, we were pretty sure that this defensive end group would have been extremely tight anyway, because you got guys like Mike Dana, uh, Tershawn Wharton, who can play a little bit outside, and then Joshua Kando, um, as well as Malik Herring, a Georgia Bulldog who was drafted undrafted a few years ago, but would have been like a third round draft pick that's still on this roster. So. Yeah, Joshua Kendo is really in this position where he hasn't been, you know, living up to snuff, getting getting stuff done, and that might really impact his future as a Kansas City Chief. Now, for me, I'm going to go with the opposite side of the ball and even keep it on that same side of the defense or same side of the, uh, the football. I'm going to take Lucas Niang at right tackle because I, I understand that he's been injured. But we were looking at a guy that we drafted in the third round a few years ago that was a legit player. Like, he he was just coming off of an injury. Uh, that's the reason that he fell in the draft. But you had guys like Chase Young, the number two overall pick, going, he's the toughest guy that I faced. And that should carry a lot of weight. If you have that type of ability and you prove that in college, coming into the NFL, you should be at least primed to be in a starting position. You should have that competition ready. You, you should be able to compete at the highest level with those guys that have already been there. Now, he has done that when he's been healthy. But again, we're talking about him. He didn't look good last offseason. He didn't look good this offseason. And now he's got another knee injury. And it's like, okay, well, we expected you to come into this seat. Like, Andrew Wiley wasn't supposed to start all of last year, but he basically did. Like, Lucas Niang was supposed to come in last year and do what Andrew Wiley has been doing. And again, this year, it's like, you're, you, we had you here. You're on your rookie contract. We want you to be good. Come in, fill that right tackle position. And he just hasn't been able to do that for one reason or another. I don't know if conditioning is a problem, um, but you look at him compared to guys, even guys like Orlando Brown, who came in this year looking incredible. And it's just kind of a letdown. We wanted him to be great, and he just hasn't been that so far. Well, I will say that, and this is something that's kind of confused me. I, you get different messages on injuries. They're always kind of up in the air. But the way that I understood it, the injury that Nying suffered, which I cannot remember specifically what it was, it was a pretty serious injury. And that happened in, I believe, the Bengals game. But to your point, Nying was off and on. Uh, he was benched casually for a couple of games where they went with Rimmers and then Rimmers got injured and they put Niang back. And I think it was the Bengals game that they lost. You know, remember Orlando Brown got hurt in warmups in that game and Yang got switched over to left tackle and then Yang got hurt. And then they ran Tooney out there and Wiley at right tackle. But to your point, you know, as far as the injury goes, I'm not sure how severe or not severe it is. Uh, but part of the reason why the Chiefs were able to get Niang where they did is a lot of teams described him as like just a do not draft because of like the hip injury that he had in college so being injury prone is part of it and yeah I mean he's he's one of the few guys on the team that make Orlando Brown look small at least he was whenever he was um playing and during camp last year so there's definitely like the right tackle position as a whole we could kind of describe as a disappointment because Darian Kennard was the other guy I was thinking um the only reason why I didn't pick him is because he's kind of I believe he's a fourth or fifth round, probably a fifth round pick last uh, this year. So those guys, you know, their impact is pretty limited, especially at a difficult position like tackle. But, you know, you, coming out of the press conferences and stuff after the draft, they thought of him as a right tackle and thought of him as being able to possibly win the job this year. And the Chiefs are very uh, systematic about how they have their offensive line line up during camp. And if you remember day one of camp, it was Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Like, okay, these are the guys who are uh, winning this job. And pretty much Darian Kennard has been running with the threes and twos exclusively. We've not heard him mix in with the first round or first team offensive line 
at all. It's Jaron Christian and Andrew Wiley's battle. And it's just going to be between those two guys to see who went to the right tackle job. And then, you know, who's going to be the first man off the bench from that point. So, I mean, we're so optimistic about Kennard long-term, but the thing that we heard about him was that pass pro was going to be an issue. He was great in the run game. Uh, you know, some people thought he could have moved inside during the draft process that he might've been a guard for some, uh, some people's board. So there's another one that's a little disappointing because, you know, you, you would have felt really good if you would have had, and going back to the point with Niang too, if you have the right side of your line as Creed Humphrey, you know, a pro, all pro level pro bowl, right guard, and, you know, a rookie right tackle, that's at least average to above average. That's super amazing for cost effectiveness for an Orlando Brown, who's do a deal and Joe Tooney, who's played paid as one of the top left guards in football. So um, yeah, definitely, you know, definitely some room to improve there, but who knows offensive line, there's a lot of development that goes on. It will be interesting to see who breaks the huddle at right tackle against the bears this weekend. My guess is it's probably Andrew Wiley. Yeah, I would say so as well. And I think you meant Trey Smith instead of Creed Humphrey when you were talking about that right guard spot. Yeah, well, I was meaning both. You know, you've got Creed, an all-pro, and you've got Trey, Pro Bowl. But yes, either way, both, you know, having three guys cost-controlled who are above-average players is definitely a great start on the offensive line. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's something you have to have at this point, right? Because you're going to be paying... Well, depending on how the season goes, you're going to be paying Orlando Brown a bunch of money and you're going to be paying Joe Tooney a bunch of money. So you can't have you can't afford to have any more money wrapped up in this offensive line, especially when you have other priorities like Travis Kelsey is getting older, wide receiving core not being as as great or having as high a ceiling as it did last year. Like these are problems that are going to keep arising. So, you know, keeping the offensive line uh, in that kind of medium like. We're not paying everybody, but we're paying a few of the key pieces like that. That's a good place to be, but it has to be there. You can't be paying your left tackle $30 million a year and your right tackle $20 million a year. Like that, that's just not something that you can end up doing. So, you know, going after high priority free agents, probably not the best way to go. Uh, Hopefully getting one of these guys that's currently on the roster to at least be able to fill in on that right tackle spot is going to be key for the rest of this offseason. And you you kind of talked about it with, you know, with the offensive line and some of the other positions. What are we thinking as far as how the roster is going to be made up? Um, I'm not ready to do a full 53 man predict prediction here. But I have kind of some rough notes as to who I think is going to make the team, who is not going to make the team. There's a couple of positions that I wanted to get your thoughts on specifically as to how many players you think they're going to keep and which players you think they're going to keep. I think the first one and probably one of the most interesting position battles in camp is running back. You know, there's there's a real situation that I could see them keeping five running backs, maybe even six. Um, the players and, you know, we, this kind of comes back to something that I've brought up a couple of times. I'm still not 100 percent sure that Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Ronald Jones both make this team. Well, seeing how they have treated him in camp and the way that they talk about him, Clyde Edwards Alaire is clearly a sacred cow that is not getting traded or cut. I don't see any switch situation that that's happening. So I guess at this point, you know, the question is, does Ronald Jones make this team? Because it's Clyde McKinnon, Pacheco, Ronald Jones. You consider uh, Burton, the fullback, as a running back as well. And then you still got, you know, Daryl uh, Derek Gore who a lot of us really still loved some of what he showed last year. And then there's Ely, who there's a lot of people around the Chiefs who really like as well. Um, those guys, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of options there. Do you think that they go with five? Could they go with four? And, you know, Ronald Jones is the odd man out. What do you think as far as that position goes? So just for this conversation, I'm not going to include Michael Burton as a running back because I think – he kind of fits a, a different role, even though he might technically fall under and the he's, running and he's back safe category. Too. Like, oh yeah, they yeah. they love having a fullback on the roster. Dave Tobe likes him in special teams. They have always valued that. He he's safe. There is no that they don't. There there's no way that they don't have a fullback. Yeah, for for whatever reason, Andy Reid just has loved that position. He's always kept one, whether it's Anthony Sherman whether it's Michael Burton, there, there's always been a fullback on this roster that plays a very important role in like incredibly close, like 
third and one, fourth and inches type of situation and on special teams. So, yeah, he is completely safe. I don't think that there's any situation in which Michael Burton isn't on this team. Now, with the rest of those running backs, I think that you can only probably keep four. Um, wide receiver is something a little bit different. You can kind of fudge those numbers with, like, the wide receivers and the DBs. <clears throat> Guys that are super tall, super athletic, that can play your gunner, that can do punt return, kick return, um, that can do a whole lot of different things on special teams. So, but running back is really one of those positions where it's like you have your core and a few guys in case those guys get injured, and that's it. And CEH, obviously, with all the talk we've been hearing from camp, is going to be on the roster and he's on his rookie deal and he's still fairly cheap. I think he's like two million this year, maybe something a little bit more. Um, the interesting part, I think, comes down to Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon, because I don't think both of those guys stay on this roster. And I don't think it's because neither one of them is talented enough. I think that with the immersion of Isaiah Pacheco, who's a seventh round draft pick, I mean, like late round guy playing for basically 300K you can cut one of those guys and make some more money, keep it. Maybe you make a late free agent signing close to the end of the, you know, the end of the trade period. Maybe make, maybe you make a trade. Maybe you do something else with that little bit of cap room you saved, but just with Isaiah Pacheco emerging as one of these guys who can actually play a willing pass blocker who has that deep speed. I, I just don't think Jarek McKinnon makes it on the roster. I think Ronald Jones serves a specific purpose in somebody who can, you know, kind of play that that Jarek McKinnon role as like a explosive, uh, fast guy out of the backfield. He's technically, I guess, just as fast as Ceh, but I think he has a little bit better burst, and that's going to keep him in the rotation. Uh, plus, I mean, he he hasn't really been showing out at camp, but neither has Jarek McKinnon either. So. Both of those guys are kind of in a weird spot. I think that you're probably left with three running backs and it's Isaiah, CEH, and Rojo. Are, are you with me on that? Or do you think Jarek McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon has a spot on this roster? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately it is going to come down to who can pass protect and who cannot. We know that Ronald Jones is not that guy. You are not that guy. He's not that guy when it comes to pass protection. So if Klein is showing progression and pass protection, which is a place that he has struggled, you feel better about moving on from McKinnon. I think in between McKinnon and Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones is the guy getting paid more. I think back to how much of a breath of fresh air it was for this offense with Jarek McKinnon in the playoffs. It felt like watching Damian Williams. Again, um, I'm wondering how this is all going to work once the Chiefs trade for Kareem Hunt, though, because Twitter told me that yeah. that's happening. Yeah, let, let's. do you want to spend time on that, or is that just too ridiculous to even talk about at this point? The only thing I will say about it is if it gets to a point where the price is basically next to nothing, and for some reason, Clark Hunt, Andy Reid, and Brett Veach like, have buried the axe or sorry, buried the hatchet. That's the phrase. Buried the hatchet with Kareem Hunt. I'd, I'd be thrilled. I'd be excited. The best this offense has ever been with him. And, you know, any combination of Kareem Hunt, Clyde Edwards, you know, maybe this is maybe this is what it is. Like, hey, let's flip a control, more controllable asset for something short term. We like Pacheco, Kareem Hunt, and Ronald Jones, or Pacheco, Kareem Hunt, and, uh, you know, McKinnon, or whatever the combination is. The one thing, though, that does not, and the part that actually makes the least amount of sense is that, like, why does Kareem Hunt want out of Cleveland? Because he wants a new deal. The Chiefs are have basically showed everyone the door who's look, looked for a big deal here lately. So, um, you know, that's, that's the part that probably makes the least amount of sense. But somewhere deep down inside, my heart still yearns for, like, I just think back to that game that the Chiefs played against the Bengals on, like, I think it was, like, Sunday Night Football. The Bengals were kind of, like, okay that year they were like a 500 level team and then cream hunt just like had like three passing touchdowns where he just like knocked over 10 people and jumped over people into the end zone and that's just something this offense desperately needs but at the in um in a long roundabout way the answer is uh no it's not gonna happen 
yeah, it, and I'll kind of, you know, follow you on that track. I just don't see a scenario when this happens. But going back again, it's like, dude, I remember having conversations about who was the best running back in the league. And I was seriously petitioning for Kareem Hunt because I'm like, he has the breakaway speed. He led the NFL in rushing yards. And he was in an offense that didn't run the ball all that much. I mean, they had Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. It wasn't like they didn't have uh, it, it wasn't like we were in our Alex Smith or Trent Green days where, you know, we basically ran the ball 24-7. I guess Alex Smith, we threw it a little bit more, but it was like, dude, we have this guy who could possibly be the best running back in the league. And we just haven't found that guy yet again. And so bringing him back would be amazing. The chances of that happening are basically zero, though, because essentially everybody on this team that's still on this team that are leaders and who get paid the most money took less everyone outside of Orlando Brown who has wanted a new deal I guess and Joe Tooney but we brought him in as more of a free agent type of situation Chris Jones Patrick Mahomes Travis Kelsey uh the list goes on Frank Clark took less money like all of Justin Reed there all of these guys took less money to come here and be a part of this organization Kareem Hunt is not going to do that. And I think that there may be some validity to the argument that he wants out of Cleveland because of the Deshaun Watson situation where, you know, apparently half of the organization is out on having a person who sexually assaulted at least 24 people in, you know, as the face of the franchise. So there, there might be some validity to that, but I don't think that that's enough for Kareem Hunt to go, okay, you know, I'm, I'm done with all that. I want to come back to the best organization I ever played for, for less money. I, I just don't see that happening. So would you trade him and Kareem Hunt in a package or him and CEH in like some sort of package? Maybe, but somewhere, not. somewhere in there, I'm going to let the joke die uh, about Kareem Hunt and the treatment of women in relation to Deshaun Watson. Um, I'm just going to let that one sit okay. and hang. All right. <laughs> but uh, all right, back to the Chiefs roster. Another position that I'm wondering about is wide receiver. You know, you feel pretty confident that Juju's making it MVS, Sky Moore, McColl. This is where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, you know, that's that's five wide receivers right there. There for a while, I felt really good about Darius Fountain making it because they've praised him on special teams. He played spe special teams. Spags mentioned him by name, which is typically kind of the kiss that you get to make the roster. But he has been injured so much of camp. Um, We had, you know, the whole hype around. Um, What do I want to say? Just not Justin Watson. Just well, Justin oh. Ross, you know, he's he's on the yes. IR. He's getting the redshirt year. I feel really good about Justin Watson, you know, making the team. He's gotten, you know, hyped from Patrick as far as plays made in camp, a special teams guy. Uh, but after that, that that last position, Cornell Powell, I've heard nothing about Josh Gordon. Um, he is just zero buzz whatsoever. I get that it was a worthwhile flyer, but unless he really shows something, I don't see a situation that he is on this roster after cutdowns. So what do you think about, do you, do you think that they just go with five Juju, MVS, Sky, McColl, Justin Watson? Do they think, do you, are you thinking Cornell Powell or is there someone else that maybe you're thinking that has more of a chance to make the roster or is it just Darius Fountain gets it just by reputation? Well, so I'll go back to me talking about how the wide receiver numbers, you can kind of fudge because you know, with them and defensive backs, those are special teams guys that just can maybe rotate in if somebody gets injured. Um, I'll stay with the top five here with your top five, like Watson, Sky, Cole, Juju, and MVS. Though I think those guys are locks. Yeah, and I mean that, that. That's the thing too is that I I get the point that you're making because it's very obvious that Tobe is going to get his guys as far as the ones that he wants to make the roster. And if the, the thing is, is that he's always had these players that are fringe wide receivers that Andy has to at least be able to incorporate into the offense. some. you know, we saw that for years with what's his name, the wide receiver who 
Um, always seem to make the roster on special teams exclusively. Names escaping me right now. Demarius but, Thomas? No, no, not Demarius Thomas. I don't think he's ever been on the Chiefs. Um, oh, uh, I, I was thinking DT. Yeah, who do, who do we have? DT. I can't remember. Demarius? Demarcus? No. I, I can't Demarcus Ro- You're thinking of Demarcus Robinson, but I'm uh, – but either way, you know, if they – I do see a situation they only keep five, but I think one thing that they talked about even in the draft – was that this year they need special teams guys, and a lot of them are going to come from these, you know, seventh round, late round guys that they picked at uh, the secondary position because those guys can all play special teams. So I went pretty heavy on my roster prediction for the secondary. Like I have Reed, Thornhill, Cook, DiCaprio, Boodle, who's looked pretty good, uh, Justin Williams, Sneed, McDuffie, Lonnie Johnson, Jalen Watson, Jalen Watson, Nazi Johnson, all those guys I have making it because I think that they're just going to play a good special teams. Well, and see, that's the thing. Like you have your DB group and your wide receiver group, and both of those like positions play essentially the same positions on your special teams. So that that's where it gets a little fuzzy. And that's where I was going to make my next point is like, how deep do you have this DB room? Because this DB room, as far as I'm concerned, with uh, Joshua Williams emerging as like maybe a starting corner um, coming out of his uh, historically black college uh, university or wh- wherever he was from. Um, and you have guys like Lonnie Johnson, who played honestly pretty good against us in that 24-0 comeback victory in the playoffs a few years ago. So there are guys on this defensive you know, this, this defensive defensive back group that like deserve to be here. And I think that with those five receivers, I don't think anybody else really deserves to be here. I mean, like Doris Fountain is cool. Like, he, you know, I, I bought into the hype last off season. I thought he was going to do well. And he caught one pass from Patrick Mahomes or something crazy. Like, Marcus Kemp there for a while was a guy that was like a bubble, like, oh, man, maybe he could be, you know, he might beat out Miko for this wide receiver three spot. And it's like, no, actually, he's, you know, not really that good. Josh Gordon, I don't think is good enough to make this roster. And I think that maybe he might make it. He might be. He's the only guy in that group that I could see being the sixth receiver kept. That's only because he's the elder statesman in the room. Like he, he provides nothing else to this offense other than his ability to give advice to the younger guys. And there are places on this roster for that, especially in that wide receiver room. Like Miko and Juju are basically the elder statesmen of, of that group. And I guess MVS is, is a little bit, he's kind of in that Juju uh, range as well. But those guys are like 26. Those guys are as old as I am. I don't want me giving advice to these you know young 19 20 year old wide receivers so josh gordon a guy with some perspective might actually be able to make the roster other than that i don't see anybody i i don't think i don't think fountain makes it i don't think uh cornell powell makes it i just don't think there's enough room yeah i'm i'm pretty much in agreement as that goes by the way the guy we're thinking of was marcus kemp who just like yep. Yep. was safe as could be on this roster for no apparent reason other than just special teams. Um, last one, and this kind of goes back to my disappointment, was defensive line. Uh, I've got Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Derek Nottie, George Carl Loftus, Carlos Dunlap, Mike Dana, Tershawn Wharton. I think Colin Saunders is making it. He's looked decent, had some good reps, and I think they still have a need for just a you know a true interior guy. Uh, Kendo and Herring are people that are kind of like on the outside looking in for me. I could see them making it, but honestly, if you start filling out 53 this year, it was, it was a little bit easier to do it than in years past as far as like filling out the full 53. But do you think, uh, do you think Saunders is safe? Do you think Kendo is safe? Do you think, you know, we heard a lot about Herring, but I've not seen a single tweet about how he's played. Yeah, that's true. And he was a guy I had really high hopes for coming into this because he had like a really bad knee injury. Yeah, the, uh, the pedigree was there. Yeah, I mean, he was taking away snaps from Trayvon Walker, who just was the first overall pick of this draft. So it's not like the talent wasn't there. Uh, what went wrong, you know, we'll probably never know. But 
No, I, I don't think that he'll probably make it. He's another guy that we can keep on our practice squad. Um, Joshua Kando is interesting, though. I don't think he has had a very good camp. I think he was poised. I mean, you, I think you had him as your, you know, not living up to expectations player. There's something not there. And when you have guys like Mike Dana and Treshawn Wharton, and you bring in a guy like Carlos Dunlap, who are going to eat up those reps. Like, it, I know we like to have a bullpen, but right now we have five guys at defensive end that can take reps. How many more do you keep? Like, I, I just, if you've got to choose him over a guy like Josh Gordon or Nazi Johnson, who can play, or Lonnie Johnson, I mean, who can play, you know, significant reps on defense or in special teams. I, I don't think that you can pull the trigger on that. I think you got to let him go and maybe kind of stash him on the the practice squad again or, or see where you can fit him in to hide him. But I just don't know if there's a place for him. And yeah. same thing with Colin Saunders. I mean, we're in a situation where we have Tershawn Wharton, Derek Nottie, Chris Jones, um, Ooh, now I can't think of his name. Mike Dana has been working in on those DT reps. Like that's four guys in, in a two position group. We got four guys and plus George Karloftis can rotate in there. And Frank Clark has rotated in. I mean, like how many guys can you have at that position where you go, I'm giving up Dave Tobe's guy to keep this guy on the bench for the whole entire game. Like Dave Tobe is going to get his guys. Like so, some people are going to have to be sacrificed. I think that Tershawn or not Tershawn Morton, Colin Saunders. Um, no, I can't think of his name. Uh, Joshua Kando. Joshua Kando and Malik Herring. I, I don't think that they make this roster. Just just based on the fact that our defensive or our wide receiver and DB groups are just so deep. I just don't think that they can they can hold on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Looking forward to the first game on Saturday uh, against the Bears. We'll start to kind of be able to pick out the pieces and kind of learn more about the roster as a whole from there and what they view the pieces as. But now it's time for some general NFL talk. The segment that has been demanded back by our ravenous fans who um, this segment brought you last year, great takes like Daniel Jones gets MVP votes and that the Jags were going to the playoffs. Both things were almost true. Um, you know, it came down to the wire with Almost. both of those, both of those, <laughs> but this segment is back baby. And the takes are just as hot. Again, the point of this activity is not to be right. Well, it is, but the point of this activity is to not say something that's even like my hot take this year, Jamar chase top two wide receiver. Like, okay, he was great last year. You could definitely see it. These are things I was like, Whoa, you predicted that to happen because like, if this, like, to be clear, if Daniel Jones won or got received MVP votes last year, like I would be taking a victory lap still over that. These are bold takes, things that no one else is saying. And I'm going to here to start with the first one. And my first bold take here is that Derek Carr is an MVP finalist. Derek Carr oh. has Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, they drafted Zamir White, a good running back out of Georgia. They added, they went from one of the best offensive minds that is, you know, influenced Tom Brady's system to Josh McDaniels. Last year, they had, you know, just catastrophe after catastrophe with that team. And another thing that I like about his MVP status is this. You have all the priors built in of everything that he's went through. So he's got the leadership element. Like everyone thinks, you know, Derek Carr is a leader. Then you have an awful defense. That de like name three good players on that defense. I dare you, right? Terrible defense, which means he's going to have to keep firing, which is just going to, you know, increase stats. Raiders have a huge national fan base, and then listen to the quarterbacks they face. Like this is just going to even further force him to keep firing. Justin Herbert twice, Patrick Mahomes twice, Russell Wilson twice, Kyler, Stafford, the 49ers QB, which we assume will be Trey Lance. And then they also play the Steelers, who will be a good team. That's a lot of like a lot of times that they're just going to have to keep going and getting points. The like this is probably actually one of my favorite prop bets of the whole year is uh, Derek Carr, uh, passing yards leader for the NFL. The MVP thing is you know maybe the touchdowns go up, but I mean Adams Waller Renfro that isn't that is one of the best trios in the NFL right now. If Waller can stay healthy, which he struggled with last year, 
But Derek Carr is an MVP finalist. Means like, you know, top like he's in the conversation at the end of the year, not you know a guy that we crown week four, but like true MVP finalist Derek Carr. Well, technically, he receives a vote every single year anyway from his older brother. So that, that's that not is a true. Super hot take. No, no, but this is like Daniel Jones was just like in the conversation, like might get a vote or two. This is like it's either Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers. Like who's gonna get it? Like this is true finalist. Like we're talking could realistically win it. People are picking him to win it. So I follow you there for a little bit. Now you start talking about that Raiders defense is incredibly bad. And I'll push back just a little bit. You remember they signed Chandler Jones, right? And Max Crosby is a great player. And Abraham, that defensive, uh, defensive three back. Good players. You named That's two. three. Josh Abrams. Like they, they play him at like off the ball linebacker. Like he is, he is discount. Um, what's his name from Seattle? Like he, he's not. He, those, those are good two players. I'll give you credit, but I'm, I'm not Abrams now. Okay, Denzel Perryman. He was. Are, are we talking in 2015? He was pretty good. He was a great. Player <laughs> he like he was like a top five tackles leader last year. Ta- so once again, I will bring good. to you that ta- being a leader in tackles does not make you a good player. It means you just have lots of opportunities to get to players. Like, you it's know, all... it's a counting stat. Listen, Fred Warner got a defensive player of the year and he was like the leader in tackles. That's all I'm saying. So it, it does mean something. You might not value it as much as NFL teams do, but they have some players on that defense. And I'll tell you what, for my two bold prediction, my first one, I'm going to keep it in the division, and I'm going to talk about the Broncos. I think they end up last in the division. Now, here's why I think that. So we'll just talk about the other teams in the division. The Chiefs, did they get remarkably worse this year? No. The Chargers got better. Look at that. They they brought in J.C. Jackson. They got Khalil Mack in that trade. Like, they have all of these guys. Derwin James, like, Casey Hayward Jr. Like they, they have the players and the pieces to be great. Um, and the Raiders, they were 10 and 7 last year. People forget about that. Through all that dysfunction, through all of the interim head coach, racial insensitivities from their old head coach, through all of that, through injury, they had the second best team in the division. So these other teams in this division are great. Now, let's talk about the Broncos. So they people are talking like this defense is going to be great. Like, you know, they they have all these pieces on defense. They were the third best defense last year, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, they lost their head coach, Vic Fangio, maybe one of the greatest defensive minds in the league today. I mean, it's like him and Bill Belichick and, and Mike Tomlin. Like, th- those are the guys. Like, those are your top-tier defensive head coaches. They lost them. Okay, they also, when they traded for – Russell Wilson, they lost a few of their pieces on defense that made them so great. They lost that interior defensive tackle. Like, they lost a secondary player or two. So that defense almost certainly is not going to live up to the heights that it was this past year. Now, finally, people are talking like Russell Wilson is is coming into an offense that is just tailor-made for him, and it's way better than this Seattle offense. Well, okay, but they had two really good wide receivers, Seattle. Broncos don't. Like, people talk about Jerry Judy, and he was great in college. Here are some stats for you. He had a 17.6% drop rate and caught just 76.5% of his catchable balls. Both of those are worst in the league. So you're talking, everybody's talking about MVS dropping footballs. That's Jerry Judy every day. It's not like he had a season where, you know, he had zero dropped footballs. It's he has the most drop footballs in the league. And as much as I want to keep riding this Cortland Sutton train of like he's going to be this top tier wide receiver, he hasn't shown that he can stay healthy and he hasn't been that good. He was a first round pick. A lot of people, including me, had them as him as their number one wide receiver. He has not been that in that draft. So you you have to look at these other weapons and say, okay, well. What else do they have? They're deeper than Seattle. Okay, well, they just lost uh, Tim Patrick. So they have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and K.J. Hamler. Good, not great. Not, not a single one of them is DK, DK. Not a single one of them is 
that speedy, the other little speedy wide receiver from K State. Okay, now finally, we'll we'll talk about their offensive line, like bottom five of the league offensive line, like could not keep Drew Locke off of his back, and they made no significant attempts to ail that in this past offseason. That sounds like a recipe for, for destruction. That compared or that coupled with uh, Russell Wilson not being able to compete at a high level for an entire season. There's a reason that he gets about six games of like being the in the MVP conversation and drops off. It's because he's not good late in the season. He, he's essentially Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. He, he is in that same conversation. So I do not see the Broncos are going to win this division take. I don't see that they're even going to be like they, they might still even make the playoffs. No, they're, they're probably going to miss the playoffs and end up the worst in this division. So that's my take. No, Broncos are not good. Let's stop saying that they're good. I think I think me and you arrive at the same conclusion, just in a little bit different ways. Um, I agree with you about the playmakers. I think, you know, Tim Patrick, that third receiving option really hurt, like losing that really hurts teams. We saw what the Bucks lost whenever they lost Antonio Brown. Um, you know, Corlin Sutton's a good player. Jerry Judy's a good player. He has struggled with drops, and that's kind of been a theme throughout camp as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not as I, I think that the offensive line, like Garrett Bowles, is a pretty good tackle. Um, they're they're not as bad at offensive line as I think you might be making them out to be. the The strength of the the, the path to the Broncos becoming a good team is basically the Aaron Rodgers plan of, you know, Hackett comes in. They have two really good running backs. Javante Williams is one of the best running backs in the league. Um, he's a guy that I am buying in all fantasy leagues. And, you know, they they just – the, the thing is is that they're just going to have to ask Russell Wilson to basically do what he did in Seattle. Now, it, you know, it just kind of comes back to the fact of are they going to run that type of offense or are they going to, you know, let Russ cook, quote-unquote? Because you're right, the wide receivers are nowhere near – to what he had out in Seattle and then the defense, you know, the secondary is a absolute strength of the Broncos. Uh, you know, Patrick Sertan jr. Is just one of the, one of the best young stars in the league. Uh, we know the safety plays there is good as well, but the, you know, the linebacking and the defensive line you're relying on, um, you know, Bradley Chubb who gets hurt all the time. And then Randy Gregory, who's like career high in sacks is like six and he averages like 10 games a year because of suspensions and other things. So, um, you know, if the pass rush isn't there, you know, you're looking at covered sacks only. And that, that, that to me is the big thing. And then also why, why is it that Russell Wilson struggles at the end of the year? Something happens every single time at the end of the football season. Oh yeah. It gets cold and Seattle is not really a cold. It does get cold in Seattle, but it gets cold and rainy, not cold and snowy and not nearly as cold as it's going to get in Denver. He's now going to a place where he used to play in Dome in Arizona, Dome in Los Angeles, and Dome in Arizona in the division to now playing games in Kansas City, Denver. Now he gets the L.A. Dome still and Las Vegas, but he's going to play a lot more cold weather games just by nature of changing divisions and playing all of his home games in Denver. So it'll be interesting to see how cold weather Russ progresses because I think that's part of what contributes to his inevitable slump that happens at the end of the year. Um, my next take is a bold one here. My next take is probably my boldest. I'm proud of this one. The Detroit Lions not only make the playoffs, they win a playoff game. And here's why. First off, Dan Campbell had that crappy team in every single game last year. They beat the Vikings. They're, they played hard. They play crazy for this dude. A lot of people love Dan Campbell. They made every game close. They covered like the spread more than half the time that they played. Jared Goff, I know that we love to dunk on Jared Goff and say that he's awful, but he is a professional NFL quarterback. Like, you know, he is a he is a game manager, and this team is ripe with talent all around it. There's a lot more offensive talent than we give credit for this, and he can absolutely be an Alex Smith-level player. Now, keep in mind, I said a playoff game. You know, this is like the Chiefs beating the Texans that one time. I absolutely see a situation in the weak NFC that they can sneak in and beat some team that's not very good in the first round of the playoffs and then just get demolished by some real contender in the second round. 
but you've got Jamison Williams who's coming back from the injury. You've got Josh Reynolds who's, you know, a wide receiver that actually had some good productivity for them. You got DJ Shark who they brought in, who was a guy that actually wanted the Chiefs to bring in. Big playability. You got Amon Ross St. Brown who's had really good uh, numbers as a rookie. The running back room is pretty good there. You've got Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift, a good one-two punch. And you've got you know, a guy that a lot of the fantasy community still believes is a top five tight end in TJ Hawkinson. Um, good offensive line with uh, Ragnar, Sewell, and Decker. You know, the, the, the makings are there for a good offense that if Jared Goff can just, you know, get the ball to playmakers, you can squint and see it. Um, they're getting, you know, a top five corner back. Well, top five pick, not top five corner in the league. But Jeff Okuda is coming back from injury. And they just added Aiden Hutchinson. And a weak NFC where they get to play the Bears twice, I'm not necessarily sure how good the Vikings are or are not going to be. I, I could absolutely see them sneaking into the playoffs. But I'm going to go even bolder and say that they win a game because Dan Campbell restores the roar in Detroit, baby. I like that take a lot more than I think I probably should. Um, and I, I'm just looking at like their additions and DJ Shark, Deshaun Elliott, like th- those are good pickups. Not not only that, but Aiden Hutchinson, Jamison Williams. You talked about Jeff Okuda. Like these are playmakers. These are guys that can actually make a difference in a football game. And that division has gone from like one of the hardest ones to win in to possibly one of the easiest. So I won't say that they will win the division, but I think that they actually have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs in the NFC. And I don't, I don't know if they'll win one because they'll probably face green Bay or the bucks in the first round, but that's a possibility. I, I don't hate that. Like that, it's almost there. I, I can almost go there with you. And that's what a good take is. It's I follow you, I follow you, I follow you. You know what? We disagree on the end. So great take. Love it. Um, I'll keep it in the same division, NFC North again. I think we did a little bit of copying off each other's homework here. But I'm going to say that the Vikings win the NFC North. That's my next two bold predictions. Now, there's a reason that I think this. Don't, don't think that I'm crazy. They did lose guys like Anthony Barr and Sheldon Richardson, um, Everson Griffin, Xavier Woods, T.D. Westbrook. Those are I won't take those losses lightly, but they added Harrison Phillips, Jordan Hicks, Zadarius Smith, and Chris Reed. Like These are major players. Chris Lee, Reed, if you guys don't know, left guard, incredibly good, like way above average, and that defense is loaded. I mean, not only did they add Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth Jr. in the secondary, but, dude, that defensive pass rush is going to be the purple people eaters of this generation. Like, Zadarius Smith, who was one of the top edge rushers in the league before he got injured. Uh, now I can't think of his name. The other guy on the other side, uh, who has played extremely well for his entire career that the Chiefs almost traded for. And Jordan Hicks. I mean, like, those are guys that can come in and make plays. And they have an incredibly easy schedule. They face the Eagles, Lions, the Saints, the Bears, the Cardinals in the second half of the season, the Commanders. Uh, I mean, they face the Jets, the Patriots, the Cowboys. I mean, like, this schedule is just cake. This is going to be a butter schedule. Danelle Hunter, by the way. Danelle Hunter, that's who I was thinking of, yes. For some reason, I had Everson Griffith stuck in my head still. But anyway. So they have a cake schedule in a weak division and their roster is way better than people give them credit for. Like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are two of the best wide receivers in the NFC. They're both on the same team. Justin Jefferson might be a top five wide receiver now. And the running back, Dalvin Cook, great running back. They, they even have a really good backup running back. I'm struggling to remember his name now, too. Uh, but their, their offense is loaded. They have the pieces and I think that they could be poised to make a deep playoff run this year. Now I'm not saying that they will reach the NFC conference championship game. I'm also not saying that they won't. They're a team that is like, that could be so either or like they, 
they kind of have to prove it to you at this point because they've been a dark horse NFC team for, you know, the past three or four years. But I really think after this draft and after some of the coaching changes that they've gone through, that this team is incredibly good and they will make waves in the playoffs. And I think they'll beat the Packers. I think they'll beat them at least one of the times that they play them. And I think if they play them in the postseason, they will beat them then too because they're Green Bay, I don't think is as good of a team overall. Plus, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is never good in the postseason. So Vikings postseason run, I'm all here for it. It's so easy to do bold takes with the NFC because of how like putrid it is that, you know, there's at least going to be one or two teams that surprise and they're just simply on uh, schedule alone. All right. Speaking of, we're back for more NFC takes for this one um is the saints are winning the nfc south not the buccaneers first off Jameis winston had in his time as a starter for the saints was 14 and 3 so 14 touchdowns three interceptions he had really fixed the problem that had bugged him for a long time with the bucks and that was the interceptions including beating uh Aaron Rodgers and the Packers week one uh 64.4 QBR in seven games they have added Jarvis Landry they have they drafted Chris Olave a lot of guys a lot of people who thought that he might have actually been wide receiver one in that draft Michael Thomas is back and looking really good in camp reportedly you've got all Alvin Kamara you still have the ghosts of Mark Ingram there um that defense has absolutely owned Tom Brady I'm not I think that they've beat the Saints once since Brady has went to Tampa Bay and they have embarrassed him a couple of times. The defense, you know, you have their uh, the defensive coordinator now taking over as the head coach. You've got um, Bradley Roby at corner, Marshawn Lattimore, Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, Demario Davis, Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan. I mean, this is a good defense. And it's going to be really frustrating as a Chief fan because Tyron Matthew is going to get way more credit than he deserves for that defense being good because it would have been good with him or without him. But they've done some smart things on that defense. I have no doubt that that defense is going to be good because listen to some of the quarterbacks that they get to play. Marcus Mariota, twice. Baker Mayfield, twice. Drew Locke, Kenny Pickett, Trey Lance, and Jacoby Brissett while Deshaun Watson is suspended. That is going to be a good defense. And I think that they could win that division, you know, just off the sole nature of beating the Bucks at least once and then, you know, fattening up on some of those lesser games. I think that they're going to surprise some people this year. I really do. Yeah, uh, I almost with, went with the Saints as well, just because they seem like one of those teams that is poised to make a, a, like a comeback season. I like Michael Thomas. I don't think Alvin Kamara is going to get suspended. So they're like really, really good as far as, you know, their weapons on offense go. And that defense is going to be stout. I mean, you know that they're on the right track when they cut Daniel Sorensen as well. Like they, they brought him in this guy that, you know, played, I think 60% of the snaps on the chiefs defense. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's no good. He's no good. Okay. Well now I trust you. So they're making good decisions. They have, you know, the personnel there to, to make a difference. We'll see what actually happens. I don't know if they're going to win that division, but they will certainly have a shot at doing so. So, my final take is, get ready for this, and this is not just because I'm a Chiefs homer. Nick Bolton is going to receive some defensive player of the year votes. Now, I'm not saying he's going to win it, but after the season he had last year, in a defense where he was not utilized correctly, he still was one of the greatest defenders the Chiefs have ever seen in the history of their franchise on the defensive side of the ball. Now, I'll just put this in perspective. So here, here's an interesting stat that I found. So since 1987, 53%. Oh, nope, that's the wrong one. Uh, so the 112 tackles were the most out of all other linebackers in the draft class. And he averaged more tackles in his rookie season than any linebacker in Chiefs team history, any defensive player. So that's more than Derek Thomas. That's more than Derek Johnson. That's more than Chris Jones. That's more than uh, Blake Bell. That they're not Blake Bell. Uh, Mark Bell, our old line, Bobby Bell. Excuse me. Um, so he came out and had the greatest rookie season a linebacker on the Chiefs have ever had. 
and he played Sam linebacker for like 50% of the snaps. So he also finished with 11 tackles for a loss, which is in the top 15 of players that played last year, including guys who played the entire season. All of the snaps, the entire season. He had more than Fred, or he had less than Fred Warner, but a higher percentage of tackles for a loss per play. So he's incredibly, incredibly good. He also doesn't miss tackles. He, I mean, a lot of people know him for that 86-yard touchdown scoop and score that he scored against the Broncos. Like, I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see him dropping into coverage and making plays. I think that we're going to see him get sacks. I think we're going to see him stuff people at the line of scrimmage for a loss. And having him as the Mike linebacker instead of Anthony Hitchens, who played less than below average last year, I think that he is set to make an extremely, extremely good case for him to be the rookie of the year or defensive player of the year, excuse me. Um, And he honestly should have been the defensive rookie of the year last year. Michael Parsons barely edged him out just because he got sacks and he played for Dallas. So Nick Bolton, defensive player of the year, hopefully, probably. That's my prediction. It's pretty bold. It's pretty bold, especially whenever you consider, you know, uh, an on-ball linebacker. It's really hard for them to accumulate stats. You know, usually it's corners that get a lot of interceptions or defensive linemen getting lots of sacks that really kind of add up to that, you know, defensive player of the year, but it's interesting. It's bold. It's bold for sure. Um, Okay. Well, now that we've told you everything you need to know about the NFL season, we're going to call this podcast a wrap, but we will be back on a weekly basis here. Uh, Next time we meet, we'll be talking about the first preseason game for the chiefs. We'll be talking a little bit more generic NFL, and pretty soon we're going to be making our chief specific predictions as far as what to expect from the players and how they're going to contribute. So uh, with that being said, from all of us at Not Just Another Sports Podcast, I am Price Carter at Price A. Carter on Twitter and Christian Ainsworth at CBreezy underscore edits on Twitter. Thanks for listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys.